This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. I'm Jamie Hale. And I'm Jim Ryan. And together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And today we're headed to one of the Pacific Northwest's most scenic destinations. Oregon's tallest mountain, and many more accolades, but our beloved Mount Hood. That's right, Jim. And now that we're in the full thrust of summer, one of the best ways to see Mount Hood is now open to hikers and backpackers. That would be the 40-mile Timberline Trail that circumnavigates the mountain. So this is truly one of the most iconic backpacking trips in Oregon, and I think one that should really be on the bucket list of every single backpacker who lives or visits this region. For sure. And today we're going to talk about how to prepare for a big backpacking trip on the Timberline Trail and what to expect while you're out there. But before we get too far, Jamie, what can you tell me about the basics of the setup on the Timberline Trail? Okay, so the Timberline Trail is a loop trail that circles Mount Hood and runs about 39 miles in all. It kind of varies depending on where you start from and what you do. Um, Hikers can access it at several different points. Most people tend to begin and end at Timberline Lodge, which I think is just a really nice sort of a beautiful place to, to do that. It can usually take three or four days to do the whole thing. You can take a little bit longer, of course, as you as you like. Some people who really want to go crazy about it can do the whole thing in one day if they want to do uh, trail running, for example. In 2006, a portion of the trail was washed away in a really big debris flow, which made it much more difficult to complete the loop. But in 2016, the trail was finally rerouted and reconnected. So for anyone who has, you know, hasn't been there in a while, know that that washout is now fixed and the trail is open to backpackers to do the complete loop finally and thankfully for the last few years now. So, Jim, this is a trail that has languished on my bucket list for several years. I Mm -hmm. I feel like someday I'm going to have to just pull the trigger and get up there. (laughs) Um, Have you have you done the the Timberline Trail before? I have done the Timberline Trail and I had the luxury and the pleasure of doing it with our former colleague, actually a couple of former colleagues, Al Bretman and a good friend of the pod here, Dylan Pilaget, who has come on before, as well as my buddy Powers. and. Al is kind of the Timberline Trail Mastero. He has done this trail many times. And 
I don't think I had to make much of a decision the entire time about like, other than how much I wanted to eat or drink or whatever, Al was just like, here's where we camp. Here's where you can get water. Every decision was made for me. It was easy, very simple, lots of fun, and a huge upside all within like an hour and a half of Portland. So super good. So we wanted to hear from someone who had hiked the trail a little bit more recently. So to talk with us today, we have local hiker and also my downstairs neighbor, <laughs> Kyla Scary. Kyla, thanks for coming on. Hi, you guys. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for including me. Yeah. Well, so Kyla, you went just recently to the Timberline Trail, right? Yes, about a week and a half ago. Um, yeah, for my first time around the Timberline Trail, actually. So uh, yeah, it was awesome. And you did this as a, as a solo trip? Yeah, yes, I um, it, uh, kind of planned ahead. I've been planning to do a solo trip for some time. Um, I've you know done a reasonable amount of backpacking and a reasonable amount of backpacking within the Mount Hood area um, because of the time and because of some time I have off work, etc. Um, because of needing to get out of town, it just seemed like a, the perfect time to kind of take advantage and kind of like you guys are saying, it, it, you know, it had been on my bucket list for quite some time as well. Well, so tell us about your experience. What was it like when you were hiking? How did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it immensely. The awesome thing about Mount Hood, there there were several places that I have not been to yet. And so I, I think, you know, I made several notes along my trip of places that I would want to uh, go back and revisit doing maybe a one day backpack or a couple days, because obviously you're kind of whizzing by a lot of these areas that would be fun to stop and make camp and stuff, um, depending on your timeline. But I think overall, it's so amazing to go somewhere that's, you know, an hour, hour and a half out of town and get to go, you know, circumnavigate this mountain that's got so many different types of vegetation and different um, natural areas that, uh, you know, differ a lot from each other. Again, it's, you know, all more or less in the same region. But as you go kind of up and down into the canyons and then up the high points, et cetera, uh, just the, the variation in the natural region uh, it's it's amazing so getting to see that kind of all within a period of two or three days was awesome that is very cool and let's start with kind of the basics where did you start what direction did you go and how many days did you take to do it so after the trail was reestablished, um, i think there's a oregon hikers really great written report from 2017 um, that starts at the Timberline Lodge and goes clockwise. The majority of people choose to do the hike in a uh, clockwise motion. Although I did meet a few groups that said there there was a little less climbing and elevation gain if you do counterclockwise. So that's something I might consider in the future. I chose to do it in a three-day, two-night trip, which uh, worked out well. But I definitely, um, in the future, would probably choose just to have a little more time enjoying, you know, the scenery and all of the stuff, um, all of the surroundings. I think ideally I would do it in a three-night, uh, four-day hike. Just uh, it gives you more places to camp, more places to stop for water when you need to, and just you know, a little more time to, you know, enjoy your surroundings. What were the conditions like up there? Because I know that, you know, even though it's summertime, Mountain Hood can get a little dicey at certain times of the year, right? Uh, yes, it really can. And I lucked out incredibly. I think a, a popular time to go is, you know, probably towards mid or, or later August um, for a, a few reasons. You know, you've got, you know, less snow to worry about. Uh, the streams, uh, crossings and stuff are generally a little more um, less difficult. And 
of course you have all of the, the wildflowers I think are, are great at that time. I lucked out by it being, you know, probably close to 70 degrees my entire trip of the nights. Uh, even when I camped, I think about one of the highest points on Gnarl Ridge, you know, at like 7,300 feet, the night was like extremely uh, mellow. So it wasn't cold. It wasn't windy. So I think I really lucked out there. The majority of the snow had melted. So I didn't need to, you know, do a lot of rerouting or use my GPS a whole lot trying to find the trail. I'd read, you know, several trip reports with them the previous couple weeks where people were mentioning that and I, I didn't, you know, I waited till most of the snow was gone. So that made it a lot easier as well. But uh, overall, there, there was some definitely high water on some of the river crossings, uh, probably most noticeably like the Elliott Glacier is, is a big one. But other than that, it couldn't have had better conditions. Yeah. And, and you mentioned a couple of things there that I wanted to touch on. One, you said you had uh, a GPS with you. And a second thing you said was there were a number of river crossings or water crossings. You're an experienced hiker and backpacker. I can tell already from just talking with you here. What are some of the considerations safety-wise that you put into play and were thinking about both before you set off on this trail and then while you were out there? Because it, it can be a dangerous place, you know, if things don't stack up correctly? Yes, uh, good question. And, and, you know, that's something that I, I'm going to continue to add to, um, you know, as I gain experience each time, I'm like, okay, this would have been, you know, a better, <laughs> a better mm-hmm. thing um, to add next time. I, th- I think it's important to note that, you know, when you go out, especially on your own, you need to be considering yourself uh, to be self-sufficient. So I definitely had, you know, my, I had my large uh, maps on me, I had a couple printouts, I had a very detailed printout of each point to point um, I also just recently purchased uh, uh, the Garmin Mini, which, you know, at the, at the behest of my mother, mainly, my husband wanted me to check in as well. But I think it's important to have something, you know, just in case you do need that SOS button. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to learn uh, definitely a little more about how to use that. I, I think um, there's good ways to make use of that. And I was able to check in at, at higher elevations, you actually get some cell phone service. But I downloaded an EarthMate app, and I'm sure there's several of these. Um, I, I need to look into them more, but there's an EarthMate app that I use that you're supposed to kind of be able to sync up with your your Garmin Mini. It's um, and and it kind of can show you that your you know friends and family you know can follow along on where you're at, etc. But this was a great uh, kind of tracking advice, you know, to where if I chose to go off the trail to, you know, either get water or kind of, you know, explore a campsite or something, it really would show me um, how far off the trail I was, which direction I was going, etc. So the EarthMate app was a great GPS service. And that I just ended up doing through my phone app, you know, on, on airplane mode. So it wasn't you mm-hmm. know, sucking up my, my phone battery or anything. So that that was really great. Um, so having that GPS in addition to your, you know, if you need your, um, garment or, or something just in case you do get into, you know, a more serious accident. So that was awesome. Um, stream crossings were interesting. Again, I lucked out cause there were several people on the trail. Some of the larger crossings, um, I noticed in fact, that Elliott crossing, which is probably one of the largest water flows there. Uh, there was a really great really thick log in place that I think has been there for a couple of mm. years. I think I recognized it. So I felt safe crossing on that. Um, I did see people, you know, depending on, you know, yeah, how long your legs are, et cetera, yeah, crossing <laughs> different variations. You know, um, I saw a couple of people um, stop after, I think that is one of the, was one of the worst crossings. Um, 
uh, right after that, uh, around the cloud cap and area, a couple of people had bailed out. Um, it, it's a big one. So that, that's something definitely with the water crossings that I, um, would take precautions. I'd also, and I, Jamie and I spoke about this earlier, had a pair of shoes that I would definitely change into your water shoes and, and take that extra 10 minutes or whatever. Uh, because if you choose like I did to hike through the water with your hiking boots, because you don't mind getting a little damp and the weather's nice enough, uh, it does add to a lot of your, you know, blisters and hot spots on your feet if you're hiking 10 more miles that day. So that, that was one of my number one things that I, I would change and, and take that extra time <laughs> for sure. It's a good learning experience, isn't it? it yeah. I just, you know, and there's a reason why people stop and do that. And a hundred percent, I would do that again. <laughs> no, after you got back, you were also telling me about um, one of the pieces of gear you brought, which was instead of doing a tent, it was um, some kind of uh, hammock situation, right? Yes. Uh, and I love that. That was my first time using it. I set it up in our backyard previously, but that worked out really well for me. I'd be interested still, you know, in, in trying out a single person tent. But what was great about the hammock, it's it's small and compact. And it had, I, I'd have to look up uh, the exact brand I got. But the, the guy, when I purchased it at REI, said he did the, the entire Appalachian Trail with it, so with it, with himself and his dog. Oh my. So I thought that, that was a good call out. Um, so this was great though, because it's not just, you know, your basic camping hammock. It had an entire, uh, you know, mosquito net layer over that. And then it had, uh, you know, like a bivy style tent, like covering over it, which, uh, for my second night, there weren't a whole lot of trees. Um, you could actually use just that bivy section if you wanted to, um, you know, lay out one of those kind of foil um, emergency blankets on the ground. You could have slept on the ground on your bag, probably in, on your mattress with just that bivy tent in, in decent weather too. So that was a nice option as well. I ended up being able to find trees to hang it on, but obviously if you're not in a situation, you know, it's a not an area with a lot of trees, um, that's not going to work out that great for you. So this is something to keep in mind. Sounds like a cool system, uh, especially with the ability to lay it down onto the ground if if you need to. What are some other things you learned uh, on this trip? You're out solo. It's a pretty big endeavor, you know, 39, 40 miles. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably pick up a thing or two. Yeah, you know what? I think um, a, a few things. One, um, you know, training ahead of time is always a good idea. This happened to me, you know, my first actual backpack of the season. And I'd say, Again, I like doing this a lot, so I felt like I would be okay. But getting in shape, mm-hmm. you know, and, and again, depending on your age and what, you know, uh, issues you might have with, you know, your knees, your back, whatever, how, how much you're carrying, um, all things that I, w- I kind of am, am planning to look on in the future is, one, how can I um, make the pack my uh, pack weight lighter? So, um, and, and some of that, of course, comes with uh, upgrading to more expensive, usually. Mm-hmm. lighter weight equipment. So that's something, but also, you know, what are the absolute essentials that I need to carry? And, you know, what, uh, what could I possibly do without what am I maybe carrying too much of? And of course it's all, you need your emergency stuff. You need maybe an extra day of food, et cetera. But, um, are there some, you know, clothes or there, you know, things like that weigh ounces, you know, kind of, um, it adds up into pounds eventually. And so, and talking to some of the other hikers that were going, you know, for instance, my pack was 35 pounds. 
which is, uh, I th- think you're supposed to only travel with about, you know, 20% of your body weight. So mine was a little bit above what, where it should have been. But, you know, I, I spoke with a man whose pack was only 21 pounds. So, and if you think about doing that over 40 miles, that can really make a difference. So uh, that's definitely something I'm going to look at. Um, water sources, uh, being aware of your water sources and being aware that the trip reports and um, things you might have read recently, that's going to change seasonally and uh, depending on snowmelt, where you are in the season, etc. Um, as a solo backpacker, I think I, I would probably look at bringing a second bottle of water with me, even though that adds up weight-wise, because there were a few stretches of, you know, five or six miles when you weren't sure when the next water source was going to be. I'm curious too, Kyla, it, it seems like it's just such a, a cool experience to be up there, especially to do it by yourself. What was the feeling like when you were camped out at these places up on the mountain, you know, and you saw the stars come out? What was that like for you? You know, that was really what makes the whole thing worth it to me. So I think for a lot of us, I mean, maybe especially this year, I find a lot of comfort in kind of that being out and and feeling comfort and being really small and kind of immersing myself, you know, in the natural world around me. And it kind of quiets some of the noise and anxiety and um, stress of all my everyday living and kind of brings me back to, you know, the, the real basic things like your food and your water and breathing and having some quiet around me. So it, it helps me feel grounded and, and really kind of connected to the earth around me. That to me, when you're out there and it's quiet and you're on your own and it, it it's just that really peaceful feeling that I get from that, that kind of rejuvenates me. And so that's, you know, absolutely why I kind of seek to do these sorts of things. Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll build on that. Uh, what was your one most favorite spot on the trail uh, or moment on the trail? Can you describe it for us? Uh, what it felt like and looked like to to be there in that moment? Gosh, you know, I was thinking about this ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> well, and one of my favorite things is always, you know, like I said, scouting out future camp spots, etc. One of my favorite points that I've been um, before and not and not camped and I wasn't able to camp this time, um, but that I, I just I thought, gosh, this is such a gorgeous area that just it, it's beautiful. You had a beautiful view of the mountain and you had the waters and the streams and kind of the alpine um, feel. And I think probably, uh, again, like I said, at the end of August, you'll have all of the wildflowers. Uh, Paradise Park was just gorgeous. And I'd been up to a part, but um, before, again, not to camp. And I think that's definitely an area I'd like to spend more time. But um, the second night, I spent up around the Gnarl Ridge area, which I'm not as familiar with. So it's a little bit past uh, Cooper Spur, um, another area I haven't camped at before. And it's out, it's a much higher, um, less treed area. It looks more like, uh, it looks more like volcanic rock and stuff on that side. It's a lot more barren. Um, and that night when I set up my tent and stuff, that was like, I had this gorgeous view of the stars. I wish I'd stayed up later because uh, apparently people were hiking up all night to take pictures of the comet, which was going by too. I did fall asleep and miss that, but that, I mean, you just had this gorgeous view that was all sky. And, you know, I woke up 
and I could see there were just clouds around me. Um, you could see Mount Jefferson on one side, like to the south, and then you could see like Helens and Rainier um, and Adams on the other side. And just it felt like you were literally above the world, this just weird, almost like unearthly landscape. It was just <laughs> gorgeous. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's such a beautiful image. Kyla, do you have any other advice uh, for anyone else who might be thinking about, you know, maybe this is the year, or maybe I should be considering hiking the Timberline Trail? You know, I think, uh, go for it. Like you said, I think sometimes you just have to, you know, bite the bullet and go for it. But, but absolutely, I think what I mentioned earlier that I keep repeating to myself as someone that doesn't always take all the necessary precautions, I think with a trail like this, there are going to be a lot of people. So you'll meet people if you need help, um, et cetera. However, you need to go out absolutely prepared to take care of yourself. I mean, there are areas where you're not, not running into people, et cetera. So you need to um, feel like you can sustain yourself, whether it's, you know, food, whether you have the, you know, I think there's the top 10 list of um, this is what you need to bring your emergency blanket, your matches, all of that kind of thing. You need to be like self-sustaining things like water become extremely important. I mean, that's an obvious one, but again, like there were a few miles when I was like this, you know, I should have packed another water bottle. I, you know, things like injuries and stuff. Do you have your, you know, knee pads or braces or tape if you get, you know, cut and stuff, all of those things you need to be really planning to be able to take care of yourself, regardless of how many people end up being on the trail. So that's, that's probably my big thing that I'm going to consider as I, as I go forward into other packing trips, hopefully. That sounds great. Well, Kyla, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. And you've got us excited about getting out into the backcountry ourselves. So thank you very much. That's awesome. You guys, thanks again. Of course. All right, folks, we're going to talk more about the Timberline Trail right after a short break. All right, folks, we are back talking about the iconic Timberline Trail around Mount Hood. Kyla did a great job painting those visual descriptions of what it felt like out on the trail. She's got me wanting to get back out into the backcountry right now. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling you, Jim. You know, it's, it's obviously kind of a, a weird and tough time to go out backpacking or to go out traveling. Um, but as Kyla was saying, you know, it's it's just so close to Portland and... Even if it's one of these trails that might be like a little bit more crowded, it's a place where you can find solitude pretty easily once you're out there. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of folks would imagine that around some of the more popular day hiking areas, a la Ramona Falls, Paradise Park, stuff like that, you're just naturally going to see a lot more people because you can day hike there. And at least I think Paradise Park is a place that people date hike. Yeah, I'm not sure even can. sure, but Ramona Falls, definitely a very popular spot for that kind of thing. You're going to see a lot of people around those points. But in some of the spots in between, most people are going in the same direction. I think it's safe to say, you know, you're going to pass people, but it's not going to be uh, the equivalent of walking down an aisle at Fred Meyer right after work on a Friday, let's say. 
couple things to keep in mind for those who are going to head up the Timberline Trail. This is a wilderness area. And so there are some wilderness regulations. Um, I mean, some basic stuff that you'd find any other wilderness you go anywhere else in the Northwest. Um, you know, so make sure that, you know, you're taking care of your waste properly and, you know, you're packing out what you pack in. Obviously no mountain bikes or anything like that. So this is a lot of these are just strictly for hikers. Um, in a lot of these areas along the Timberline Trail. Um, and it, it, it is a place where permits are required between May 15th and October 15th, but permits are free and available at trailheads. So it's not like anything you need to reserve in advance in order to get one. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, I thought everything that Kyla said about safety, really good. One mm-hmm. thing to note, uh, checking the weather for, say, the closest town of government camp or something like that. Maybe not entirely sufficient for knowing how good the weather is going to be up on the trail. Uh, It's going to be colder. You're at higher elevation. It might be a little bit windier. It's almost assuredly going to be a bit windier. You're up high on an exposed volcano for a good portion of this hike. And just make sure that when you do check that weather, you factor in the notion that You're a lot higher than probably where that weather forecast is being taken, and things might be a little bit different. So ensure you bring some protection from the elements while you're up there. Weather can move in really, really fast up there, Um, whether it's a storm, um, flash floods coming down the rivers. So you really, as Kyla said, caution is super, super necessary. And if you have any other questions about like some specifics and you want to talk to an official about it, the Mount Hood National Forest, give them a call. Um, the forest rangers have been available and very, very helpful, at least in my experience. Good stuff, Jamie. Well, also, if you have any other questions or comments about the show, feel free to drop us an email, podcasts at oregonian.com, or shoot us a message on Instagram, whatever it may be. But for now, folks, we are going to wrap things up. You can subscribe to Peak Northwest wherever you get your podcasts. Watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel. And of course, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest. This episode of the show is produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Elliot Noose. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen. <laughs>